Hello and welcome back to 100% Real with Ruby. Today I have Jeb Johnston, but I I can't really introduce him as just some emotional eating expert because he kind of doubles in all shit. But the thing that I can say we both have in common is that we've specialized in different things and we've spoken our passions on training on doing the like the top level types of training the top level types of nutrition but it all comes down to the baseline where our habits our environment and the fact that we are humans not robots actually holds us back because we can have all the best intentions in mind but we are human at the end of the day life happens at the end of the day and it really isn't about the food we eat or the reps or the sets that we do, is it? It's so much deeper than that. So I'll let you talk about what you found coming to this part in your journey as a coach and what you find to be the biggest issue, the biggest, biggest elephant in the room when it comes to actually getting results and keeping them with your clients. Thanks. Um... Yeah, I mean, my journey to where I am is pretty circuitous. Like, I, you know, I started off, I mean, I, first of all, I got into the fitness industry not until I was in my 30s. I didn't even start really lifting weights until I was in my 30s. I mean, I had lifted weights because I was always an athlete, but I didn't really get serious about it. I didn't pay attention. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I was a, uh, a hairdresser in New York City, uh, worked with, like, celebrities, models mainly, Um and then just like kind of got engrossed in the fitness industry through contacts because of I got into lifting when I uh, um, was like 33, actually, when I started and, and just uh, became really close friends with some, some people in the fitness world because it's New York and that's how it is. And uh, ended up kind of creating a new career and um, nutrition happened to me where I, I felt uh, was my kind of preference I, I was into training but I often felt like hey there's I've got a lot of friends who are really 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 freaking good trainers and so I would find myself recommending them over myself for people <laughs> so it was a really bad sales strategy uh, but nutrition was something that I was really into and I, I'd always been into it and um, and that ended up really driving me down this behavior uh, route um, like I said, my prior career was being a hairdresser. Um, that's very much, uh, and I'll apologize now. My my wife is out of town, so I'm I'm babysitting the puppy and the grown dog in my office, and they're probably gonna. It's witching hour here. It's like you know eight fifteen at night, and the puppy goes crazy. So hopefully they'll keep it down. Um, but yeah, so um, you know behavior stuff as a hairdresser, like you know I would always I talked to a lot of women, and we talked a lot about body issues. You know I I. Didn't, I wasn't a barber. I was. A, I worked ninety nine percent of my clientele. I had been a bartender through college. I was an actor and a musician, so I was trying to make my way there. And so bartending was obviously very much. I talked to people a lot about life and and behaviors. And uh, so when I got into nutrition, that was kind of the the um, natural lean in. Um, my mother is also happens to be a, a psychologist at Johns Hopkins University um, Medical Center in Baltimore, Maryland in the States. So it kind of was whether I wanted to or not, that was kind of where I was going to end up. And so in that exploration, um, you know, we find 
what do I find is the biggest obstacle? Well, you know, to me, it comes down to really self-awareness um, and understanding that food uh, is not fuel. It is fuel, but it's not just fuel. Um, that food is not just um, sustenance, but it's family, it's religion, it's uh, history, it's uh, culture, it's all these things. And so when we try to, to, to boil it down into this uh, myopic uh, view, we tend to lose sight of all of these influences that make it difficult for us to eat in a manner that is commensurate with goals on weight or size or health. Um, there's a lot of, of factors that go into it. And so I think um, the biggest obstacle is that it's not a solution, um, even though the solution is simple, right? Even though that at the end of the day, we can lose fat by eating less calories than we, we burn. Um, but it's how do we do that? And how do we do that in a sustainable manner? Um, that is really the question for the ages, right? That's the, 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 the question that all of us are trying to work hard to change on at least an individual level, because I'm not really sure that we can change that on a systemic or global level as much as we'd like to try. At least not until there's really a big um, breakthrough in, in probably medication or gene therapy of some sort. I really think that would be the only um, systemic uh, opportunity to change the kind of path we're headed on. Something you brought up in all of that is the external environment. Like there is so much about the food itself and it's not so much removing all of these different components that make that food what it is. But if you have a goal in mind if you want to change your body if you want to change your lifestyle you need to realize that all the beliefs that you've had about that food and all of your prior experiences with the food everything leading up to where you are now quite clearly is not serving you in moving forward to where you want to be because that's why you're stuck where you are even though there might have been like different phases in the past until we learn to actually deal with those emotions and figure out what that led to and what our defense mechanism was because for some of us we seeked comfort in food or food was quelling emotions but there are so many like you mentioned it in one of your posts how studies have shown they like people who believe their willpower is strong they don't actually have stronger willpower than someone else it's just that their belief is in it and we were speaking previously before i clicked record on athletes and having mm -hmm. been and like a top level pilot to myself like the one thing that got me there was visualization and i spoke about it before i used to visualize like i used to feel the scrape on my hand of the earlings on the bar just visualizing it before i even got under the bar like that is what helped me lift the shit that i didn't think i could lift the power of visualization is key. And if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't, given that it's a reasonable thing, not like you're trying to lift like 100 kilos when you feasibly can only lift like 50. But where exactly does environment willpower? And then I guess the elephant here is actually the self-awareness fit into all of this. Because 
people also just eat out of habit. People also just eat because it's there and they didn't give it a second thought. But then they spiral down this self-sabotage and they're not actually addressing what really happened. Or they might not even realize there's emotions behind it. It's just there. So how would you tackle that whole complex thing that is really not about the food? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, I mean, it, it's so funny because we talked about, you just talked about a pretty simple and, and seemingly a pretty normal situation with, with anyone who's dealing with fat loss, right? And on the surface, it sounds like, okay, like here's just like some things that people do. Um, so when I hear those things, though, I'm running through my head and I'm saying, okay, we have a huge complex series of actions that's going on right here. Um, from the very start, right? Like we say, like, you know, we talk about like, like willpower or discipline and a lot of these things and i think part of it is um we've created this kind of aura and this this idea around discipline and and willpower um and, and a lot of it is kind of you know bs right like a lot of it is like people are like oh well, like, you know people are overweight because they're they just don't have any willpower listen i've worked with people that are special forces operators i've worked with ceos I, like i always tell people I'm like listen i i work with a guy who makes 15 million dollars a year and can't lose weight are you telling me he doesn't have discipline or he doesn't have a work ethic like until you're like if you want because then i'll say i'll flip it around and be like how much money do you make oh you don't make 10 million dollars a year you're lazy like, that's stupid why would you say i'm lazy because i don't make 10 million dollars a year well but you're saying the same thing is because this person can't make that thing happen a lot of what we ascribe to discipline is just stuff that we like to do and we can say like oh well you know what but i i don't really love it I, but but you value it, you get something out of it. Otherwise you wouldn't put that effort into it. Um, and so I think that right there, and, and that that can develop a, a series of shame points for somebody who feels like, why can't I do this? Some of the people that struggle the most are the most successful in every other area of their lives. And so when they look at this thing with food and say, why can't I achieve this? They feel shameful. They feel like I shouldn't have to have help with this. I everything else in my life all i have to do is work hard and it works and this one thing why is that and so then we talk you know then the next step is like you talk about the environmental factors around it okay well um what you know you, the, the stories or whatever everything that they've had previously like what are we as humans we, like we like to you know we're, we're kind of like these balls of flesh and all we like to think that we're you know something more than what we are we're kind of just predictive computers everything that happens is based on what happened before we create a predictive model and then we do that so when we engage in these behaviors we're engaging in exactly what we're supposed to do these are just the predictive models that we've built up over 20 50, you know 15 20 30 35 40 years and we're going to engage in those things now we can break or change those those habits we can change those like you said a lot of people just eat out of habit or form um so what is that right and, and a lot of what that is is that um we don't engage in mindful behaviors we don't particularly engage in living a life of quote-unquote mindfulness and that doesn't mean that we're going to sit down and you know all meditate and i mean although i'm a big you know believer in meditation but <laughs> um but mindfulness in and of itself is really just being in the present so when we talk about how people just eat out of habit or they don't might not consider it emotional eating um but it is because it's almost always emotional whether we pay attention to those emotions or not is a totally different topic 
but there is some kind of emotion derived from whenever we're eating. Um, now, unless we are really regimented and we always eat at eight o'clock and, you know, there's those of us that do that. And, you know, I'm one of them and I happen to be a little bit, you know, kind of robotic in those manners, but that's fine. Um, but most people don't. And so when you ask someone like, Oh, were you, why were you eating? And they're like, first of all, they might not even know that they were second of all, they're probably gonna say like, Oh, I was bored or, Oh, I was stressed or, Oh, I felt like I had low energy. Like, okay. Well, let's explore that. Right. You're bored. Bored isn't really a feeling. Let's figure out what's going on there. You're probably like 99% of the time. It's some type of anxiety, right? You're not being present. You're not in the moment. You're thinking about something in the future. You're nervous about something in the future. And it's really difficult for a lot of us to be in the moment and be okay with where we are. So how do we get out of that? We have to do something. We have to be somewhere. Um, you know, drugs, alcohol, shopping, these things are all behaviors that help us remove ourselves from being in the moment. And so boredom, you're like, oh, I'm stuck in this moment. I'm so used to fidgeting, doing something. I'm on my phone. I do all these things. What am I doing now? Well, nothing. Okay, well, how do we sit with that? Well, I'm not going to sit with that. Let me go to the cupboard and see what snacks I've got. This actually ties back to something you said in doing your Bobby years like you were talking to a lot of women and all you could talk about them with is their body image and something I am so big on in my coaching and the, everyone's going to just like face palm their heads, identity, mate, identity, like the way you speak of yourself, the way you view yourself, that, that shapes your actions. Like if you believe you're always going to be a failure, you're going to slip up because you're not believing in the possibility, the slightest possibility that you can actually succeed. You can actually stick to something. And that like, I can actually speak from my self-experience. I, most of my life was, I have no self-confidence. And I actually was just seeing some photos on my, like the years ago, I was training in a bloody singlet all the time. Like you see me now, I'm never in anything but a crop top. Like I didn't even have the confidence to wear like my crop top in the gym. Like I've come miles to get to where I am now, but the thing is you need to realize it's a process. Like I've been doing this shit for over seven years. People are not even willing to give it a week. Like they, I, I'm going to give you a case study of a client that I think will really open up that conversation. But you mentioned comfort, shame points. People don't like getting uncomfortable. They don't like feeling feelings. Like, I know that I still have some emotions to explore because I can't experience anger unless unless it's just one particular person, but that person doesn't exist in my life anymore. But there are things that we need to be willing to sit with in order to move forward. And if our identity is so tied up in the past, how can we ever give us the chance to move forward? And I'm seeing that a lot with clients I will get Jeb on in a future episode to actually talk about how if you were doing yo-yo dieting all the time and always putting the weight on or you were so overweight in the past before and you're scared of getting back to that, how that can impact you. But that's for the next podcast. But shame points, comfort points, being able to stick with that and actually being willing to work through it. And you mentioned as well, I just have to work hard and I got it. Okay, so why don't you have it then? Because sometimes you need to actually get someone who's been there before or they specialize in that because they can actually make you see things you don't see yourself because who here asks themselves the right questions we need to ask ourselves? No one. Like we're not. 
and then the future thinking. So the case study I wanted to actually bring up because no one's willing to explore emotions is I have, I have this client and she isn't willing to sit with any emotions. I'll get it. Like I thought that she was actually successfully journaling once, but I realized she didn't even own the journal. I'm like, okay. So I thought in my whole mind, she was journaling, but these emotions keep coming up. It keeps leading to binging. But then when those emotions don't come up, she's got the habitual snacking, but she just says it's habit. She's not hungry. There's no emotions. It's just habit. But every time I talk to her, it's, I always fail. I have no, I have no self-worth. I keep slipping up anyway. All I ever do is cheat on my diet. And then when I dig deeper into it, because I ask the deeper questions, it's, oh, it's proven by everyone else around me and how everyone else, everyone else treats me. The silence came from, yeah, but you're only seeing that the way that you are. That's not actually what's happening. I didn't get a reply to that, but it's, there is so much tied up in we need, like, how can we work through all of that, to then work through these pain points that trouble so many people to actually be able to move forward and not let the past hinder them and how exactly this shapes not only our actions, but it feeds back into our identity and back into this self-perpetuating cycle of being stuck. Well, you know, one of the things that I impart in my clients, we do a lot of uh, skills work and most of the skills work that I pull comes from um, a practice called dialectical behavior therapy. And, um, because I do that, because there's therapy in the world where I make sure that we know like, hey, we're not doing therapy here. We're not going to deal with the past, right? The past will inform everything that we do. Um, past trauma will likely inform everything we do, um, but we're not here to, to deal with that. Um, and in fact, I don't know that it's beneficial, but if you decide with your therapist that that's a route that you wanna work on, cool. Um, but instead what we're gonna do is we're gonna work on now. And we're going to work on, we're not going to work on even the future. We're working on right now. And we are going to put ourselves in a position that hopefully in the future we'll be able to take care of. But if we work on these skills that, that take care of now, um, then we don't have to worry about what that past narrative is. Um, because it's, you know, real. And, and you're have, going to have these feelings and you're going to have a narrative of, you know, I always fail. And that's fine. Uh, you probably will fail you will probably fail at some point in this journey. And that's part of it. That's okay. Like, that's not a problem. Um, but if you say like, hey, um, if you're making kind of, I guess, preemptive excuses, well, then we probably need to look at that. But for me, is the first thing I say is like, um, let's look at the facts, right? That's a big part of what we do is we have to say like, we have to separate the facts from the narrative. And so um, I heard uh, a great talk um, from a rabbi who uh, was on a podcast. He's, he's actually a rabbi that um, is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, and so it was just a really cool conversation. But he, he says like, what I, he said like, what I want you to do is I want you to think that the police showed up at your house and you and, and another person had an argument and they're gonna separate you. And uh, I want you to explain what happened. And of course, the first thing it says, well, you have to understand first, you know, he was doing this thing. Well, no, 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 no. I just want you to explain what happened. Well, you know, it all started with no, no, no. What happened? And so if we can really separate all of the storyline, because guess what? There's always a good guy and a bad guy in the story. And who are we in the story? 
Like, are we ever really the bad guy? No, it's someone that's doing something to us. You know, we're the good guy here that's getting screwed or whatever. So we're going to have to separate that whole storyline and just say like, okay, what are the facts of this situation? Um, and then we can say, okay, so what are the thoughts? What are the emotions? What are the behaviors that also are connected here? Um, because that's going to determine like a lot of times your thoughts will lead to emotions or emotions may lead to thoughts and those things can lead to actions and or behaviors. Um, and so I think it's important that if we let the things that are not facts drive our narrative, uh, we end up in, with a story that, like you said, can be very destructive. It can be very uh, self-damaging. And so this person in particular, like um, she says, oh, I'm eating out of habit. You know, there's no emotion. It's like, OK, well, if there's no emotion there, then it should be very easy to turn that off. Um, so like what happens in that moment? So a big thing for me is like I talk about environmental like, All right. So you, ha you tend to eat every day at 4 p.m. Um, you know, that's difficult. So when is your last meal? Okay, well, if we determine that you're not actually hungry, like you just ate something at two, so it's not actual hunger, what's happening at four? Well, at 3.30, you know, I, I, I start thinking, getting a little bit anxious because the kids get home right around four o'clock and, you know, of all this stuff, and then it's just gonna be chaos and, you know, they're running around and everyone needs this, that, that, or this, or the other done, and I'm never, you know, ready for it, whatever. It's like, okay, well, cool. So now we know that that's just a big stress point. So there's an anxiety level to that. So what can we do about that? Well, I don't know, maybe we take five minutes, do some breathing exercises at 3.45 every day. See if that helps. Okay, well, I felt more calm when the kids got home. All right, cool. So now we got that out of the way. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't work. Okay, well, let's do a pros and cons list for what eating brings you. Because guess what? We're gonna engage in behaviors because we get something from them. So, like, what are you getting from it? Okay, well, what are you? What is it taking away? So, if the pros are more than the cons, then we probably just keep doing it. If it's the opposite, then let's think about what we can change. Maybe put something else in place. But the potential of anticipating failure, or even just the way we view ourselves in general, because we always fail, we've never kept it off before. Could that influence us more than we actually are aware of, especially if we're unwilling to sit with ourselves? Well, I think what what I the conversation I have a lot with people is, I'm afraid to go back to where I was. You know, I'm afraid I'm just going to end up having to do this all over again. And the thing is, I say, well, bottom line is, you can't go back to where you were, even if you get back to the exact same weight. Like it's a you're a new you. It's a new place. It's a new thing. You can't go back. So it doesn't matter. It'll just be a new you in, you know, a different, having a different problem. So get that out of your head, but you can't go back in time. So it'll just be something that happens now with a different aspect. Um, but that is still a, a, a reasonable fear. And what I say is there's also a healthy fear that's okay because we don't want to fall back into bad habits. We don't want to fall back into that same mindset or that same fatalist kind of view. And so I think those things, yeah, I think that the, that the, the having that, that, that view of difficulties being like insurmountable is going to be hard. Um, but as we start to build some autonomy and some competency throughout the process, 
people will start to say like, if I can just get little victories here and there, okay, well, I can do this. I can do this. All right. Like this is, this is okay. This isn't too hard. I can do this. And they start to feel like they have um, abilities. And as that grows and as their autonomy in that, because again, if they, if they're just asking us to do the work for them, they're never going to be able to do anything. Um, if they feel like they're doing it on their own, they start to grow. And, and over time, they will kind of feel that they've got that, that, that internal motivation to continue to get better. This is something I do say a lot with my girls. It's like, well, I'm, I'm literally feeding you everything that you need to do the work, but you're missing that actual do the work part. And one thing that this particular client did say is, what's the whole point of having a journal? I have nothing to write. I'm like, you do. This whole conversation we just had is writable, but I just write the same things over and over again. I'm like, good. Then keep writing the same things over again, because then I can actually start asking questions. Then we can actually, like you were mentioning before, you need to separate the narrative. You need to separate the story. And I was also listening to a podcast. I can't remember what the actual thing he said was, but it was, we usually have images in our mind of something in the past, like 58% better than it even was. So that's what we uphold. But if we're attached to that, then there's something deeper. We're not actually believing our worth. But I said to her the same thing you were saying, which I love scrap the old story cool emotions exist that's in the past but if you're going to keep focusing on that I did ask her how focusing on it makes her feel and she put the the things there I'm like if you keep focusing on that you're saying you love feeling this way because that's all that's bringing you so you need to focus on where you want to go if you're if you're just focusing on the shit that makes you feel like shit you're going to keep bringing shit into your life focus on what brings you joy where you want to go and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to quote you. So I might ramble on for a bit. Imperfect consistency versus inconsistent perfection. We all want perfection. It's the goal. Even if it's unattainable, it gives us a metric to measure against. We are conditioned from our days of youth through the reward process. Like we get dopamine every time we have something that triggers joy in us. Like it, there's that dopamine. We're human, but it always leaves us chasing that. And if I bring my vulnerability back into it, I struggled for years with my food, years. And then once the whole bodybuilding thing came in as well, looking back on it now, which I probably mentioned before, but I never really acknowledged it until this conversation, is I was eating out of a fear of getting hungry. I wanted to always feel full. So I was always nibbling throughout the day. But because I was always nibbling, I didn't want to eat the fuller meal. So then that led to me always nibbling. So it took me a while to break it. But to break it, I literally just wrote down, I'm eating at this time. I'm eating a whole container. I'm not halfing it. Because I used to half the containers, just be like, oh, this will last me the whole day. Still nibble. Nah, wasn't satisfied. Now I eat four meals a day at set times. And it took me ages, ages to finally eat four meals at set times. But it works for me because I don't have to think about food. I think less about food and I have more time to live my life. But you need to figure out what is valuable to you. Do you want to keep thinking about food? Do you want to keep feeling like you're sabotaged or you sabotage yourself because you couldn't stick to a plan? Like you need to actually develop a plan and sit with yourself what's going to work. And then, okay, you might want to go back into your old habit, but 
having a plan on paper and knowing how it's going to make you feel and what it's going to give you in lines with your values, which my values was, I don't want to spend my life in the kitchen. I want to spend more time doing quality work for my clients because that's my value. So where does it align with your values? How exactly can you get people to sit with themselves to work through this, take ownership and realize how the reality of your lifestyle, your values and your identity in all of that actually shape it? Yeah, I mean, the values piece is huge. I mean, that's that's one of the first things I do with every single client is like, hey, let's figure out a value, let's figure out a priority, and let's make sure that our goals align with that. Because that's a big issue, right? And, and so I think in that kind of in that in the spirit of like kind of the case study thing is is one of the things that was pretty valuable for me um, was I had a client that hated to work out and she hated, you know, didn't really care about the food. And the reason she didn't like it is because she felt like when she went away to go work out that she was like abandoning her kids for like an hour and a half. And she felt like, you know what, like I don't spend enough time with them as it is. One day she realized that she was, when she went and worked out, she was more patient when she was home. She was more present when she was home. So that hour away from her kids made her a better mother. Well, her main value was was her family. It was being a good mother, being a good wife, to, you know, being a good partner, being a good employee, being a good coworker. Like she wanted to provide that role model for other people, and she was better at it when she exercised because it made her just just better all around. And so once she did that, all of a sudden she was like, "I love going to exercise. I love training because I know that it." It improves the areas of my life that I want to be great at. Whereas prior to that, she couldn't really, couldn't really align it. And so the trick is, is I can try to backdoor it of like, hey, let's establish your values. And we know that we, we want you to work out and we want you to eat, you know, like some whole foods and, and eat reasonably and like, you know, have regular meals throughout the day. Like, all right. So instead of being like, these are my goals to lose weight and to do X, Y, Z. Let's be like, okay, here's my value. Here's my priority. Now, if I'm eating four meals a day, how does that align with the value? How do I make fit that into the values instead of trying to make my values revolve around my physical or, or uh, goals that are, are a little bit not necessarily within um, you know, that kind of value-based area? Honestly you need like people think that tracking their food is obsessive people think that tracking what they eat or planning their meals is obsessive they think that it's too much work they think that meal prepping is too much work well think about it this way i like i earn i never started meal prepping until probably around february i used to struggle to actually hit the food i wanted to hit my macros that i wanted to hit close to ballpark of it all and if I actually allow myself to continue down that path, where was it taking me? Was it in line with the person I wanted to be? No, it was leaving me scattered. I felt out of control. I felt like I lost power. It impacted the way that I felt about myself, how I felt about my body. My body probably didn't change all that much once I got in control of it because I habitually eat the right way pretty much anyway. But yeah. it still impacted how I felt about myself. And then 
everything else around that, how I then spoke of myself or showed myself to those around me. But once you actually take control of your life and meal planning and tracking your food means something different to everyone, it can mean just planning out what meals you want to eat in a week, giving it a whirl, like just changing up two meals for dinner alternatively, but it reduces the decision fatigue. It reduces your Mm -hmm. reliance on this phantom willpower. And you don't need to worry about what am I going to cook with? Stop comparing yourself to a master chef or someone and just keep things simple for you because then you can uphold your values of spending time with your kids. You're not living in the kitchen anymore. You're actually meal prepping. And I I loved this part that you said, how will it make you show up better? And I want you to, you wrote down that you could actually go on about this for years. So I'll let you do that. But we're not allowing ourselves to sit with ourselves, be present with ourselves and, and accept acceptance. We're not allowing ourselves to do the acceptance, to get out of denial, to, to get uncomfortable. And you wrote this as well. It stopped trying to find a way around what you know to be true. You need to have to, well, you have to change to see change. You have to put in work to actually see change. And that means weekends too. That means all the time. Like you need to put in work consistently to feel the changes because how the hell are you going to feel or see what a certain, like a certain way of living does for you and your family and all the things that you believe in if you don't give it enough time? You wrote that it's not a passive activity. It's an, like you actually need to do the work. So I'll let you talk more about acceptance awareness and how that leads into everything else yeah so <laughs> like i always joke like within i have an emotional eating uh course group that that um i work with people that you kind of struggle with emotional eating and we do group work and we have a lesson each week and the ra- the radical acceptance lesson is the one that everyone dreads like i know that like um because like i i, I so my core clientele is you know women uh you know, I'd say like late thirties to mid fifties, early sixties, um, who are very highly educated, uh, way smarter than me, um, way more accomplished than me, very professional, you know, multiple degrees. You know, I usually I have a lot of like doctors, uh, psychiatrists, uh, attorneys. Like, it's like, I, I work with, I just, I work with like these really badass, capable women struggle with this one thing. Right. Um, so the acceptance piece is always like big roadblock they're like but i feel like if i am accepting this then i'm just saying it's okay and i'm not okay with it i'm like no 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 no. acceptance has nothing to do with saying that that we're okay with something it's just understanding that that is reality like that is just the way it is like we can sit there and wish it was different we can sit there and want it to be different um but it is reality so we have to accept that and in order to move on in order to grow we must first accept that reality so when we talk about weight i wish i had you know started this six months ago awesome guess what you didn't so let's accept that and let's start now you know i wish i had i wish i was 50 pounds lighter cool I wish I had a Lamborghini. Actually, I don't wish I had a Lamborghini, but I wish there's, there's things I wish too, and they're not reality. So 
forget about it. Like it, it just does. It, it's cool, but guess what? Like I say it, I'm like it, that doesn't matter. Like that does not matter. So we accept the reality of the situation. Guess what? You know, I am 50 pounds heavier than what I would like to be. That is the reality of the situation. All right, cool. You can accept something and also want it to be different. The basis for the, uh, this dialectical behavior therapy is um, that two opposing truths can coexist, right? The idea that these two things that are in opposition can both be true at the same time. We can be overweight and be accepting of our body at that weight while still wanting to change. And this is where I think the, you know, pro-diet, anti-diet camps, um, you know, kind of just sit there and, you know, fight each other over, over something where the, the real truth of the matter is somewhere in the middle is that um, uh, we need body positivity. We need to be accepting of people of all shapes and sizes. We need to say like, hey, you are okay. Your value is not determined by your weight. But if someone wants to change that weight, they also are not morally bereft because they want to change. So there's a middle ground there um, that is hard for people to wrap their heads around. And, and, and that is, to me, the basis for everything is we have to get, I mean, we are in a, we are in a world that does not want to accept reality at, at all points. Like every time something comes up, you know, the, 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 the entirety of COVID, uh, I always say it, it ripped the veil of control off of our eyes. We all thought that we had control over things. We all thought that we were in control of our lives, that everything was going fine. All we had to do was wake up, drink our protein shake, go to the gym, and everything's fine. And then we woke up one day, and everyone said, guess what? There's no more planes. There's no more travel. There's no more uh, gyms. There's no more anything. And we all went, wait, but I thought that I was in control of my destiny. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, but I think that is a very important lesson for all of us to learn that there are some small things we control. The greater aspect of things, we just don't actually have any control. It's just an illusion. Um, but if we accept that, it's a lot less scary. And we can start to move on towards the things that we want to take care of. You know, um, you know, one of the great things, I mean, I know you're in Australia, so you guys have had probably the harshest lockdowns of anyone. Uh, but I've also seen some of the greatest um, uh, innovations in home workouts come out of Australia. I mean, some of the shit that I've seen people put together, I'm like, you just basically like you, you built a hack squat out of a band and a foam roller. Like, that's incredible. Like, you see this stuff. So I think that there was this like thing of like, okay, this sucks, but guess what? It's not changing. So I better figure out what I'm going to do to take care of myself in this moment. And, and, and the nutrition thing is the same way. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm 50 pounds overweight. But if you just sit there and wish it away and hope that, you know, you can buy a detox tea or a waist trainer or that some diet's going to fix it, like that's not it. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to change all these other things. Um, we just have to accept where we are and say, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. That's it. I love that. I love that so much. It's, it's where we have this situation now. You're not in control of a lot of the things in this situation. Obviously, it's a recurring situation. So mm -hmm. 
accept it. Like it's going to keep showing up until you actually accept it because things that we hate or things that trouble us will keep recurring. They'll keep showing up until we work through them. If you don't want to work through it and you want to act like the hero of the situation and act like, oh, I'm tough. It's not going to come again. It will come again unless you work through it. And the key here is as long as you have the desire to move forward, you can still have that acceptance. The only time that the acceptance defeats you is if you do, if you're not actually trying to improve yourself, because then you are still just staying stuck. And but, but again, if you accept it, then there's nothing wrong with it because you're not stuck. Then once you accept something, you're no longer stuck. You can if you accept it and don't want to change, Thanks. you've accepted that, and you will be happy. That's the thing that people don't realize is is if we're chasing happiness. If you truly now, when most people say they're accepting something, they're not, right? They're not accepting the reality. There's because and this is how I always ask people to think about it. If you're saying I wish or if only or um, things, you know, if they just were this way, you're not accepting it, right? So if someone says, oh, I accept the fact that I'm overweight. I just wish that I could lose this weight. Well, then you haven't accepted it because you're wishing it. If you want to lose the weight, you haven't, you, you either you've accepted it and you're ready to take those steps. But if you truly accept it, you're like, I'm this, like, there's people in that body positivity movement in the Hayes movement who say, I accept myself where I am. I have no desire to change. Guess what? They're not stuck. They're exactly where they should be. And that's awesome. Like I'm a hundred percent in support of that. But if you want to change, then you also have, you have to accept where you are in order to get to that next place. Cause otherwise you're just going to, like you said, it's going to keep recurring. You made that actually made a lot more sense. And I can actually give an example with that is, okay. So I was a powerlifter. I grew crazy amounts of muscle doing my strength training, doing my power building. I had pretty awesome glutes, pretty awesome legs. And then little Ruby's brain decided that she wanted to do a half marathon. So, <laughs> so from February up until I think we've been in lockdown 12 weeks or about from lockdown until about six weeks ago, I was running about 40 kilometers a week. So <laughs> looking at my physique now compared to where I was, and then obviously the change in the change in uh, the fact that I've been training out of home, I've lost decent muscle size. I've lost quite a lot of my, my glutes. I accepted that. I'm like, yeah, cool. Well, my legs aren't where they are anymore. I've lost pretty much all of that. Cool. I lost pretty much all of my glutes. Well, I'm, I was shitty about that, but now I'm just like, you know what? I have a plan in place. I've changed my structure of my workouts to actually grow the things I'm focusing on. I accepted it. I'm not mad about it because it's what I did and what I did to get to where I am now served a purpose. I enjoyed that. I pushed through discomfort because I hated running. So I wanted to force myself to run because I wanted to embrace discomfort and prove to myself that I could do hard things. And when you push yourself through discomfort, it teaches you so many lessons. And mm -hmm. the process in all of that was, it was giving me the, I guess the clarification that, hey, you can do what you put your mind to and you can push through when you want to give up because I wanted to give up so many times. Now, I don't really know. Where, I didn't know where I wanted to take this with two different things, but now I do. And that's this whole thing that we 
both speak about. My IGTV yesterday was all about this. If you want to listen to it, it's only four minutes long. Go listen to it. It's the one where I talk about the farmer. It's also episode number 152 on my podcast. But the farmer, you're not going to just plant the seeds and then sit on your ass and wait for the harvest. Because who knows what happens with the storms in the meantime? Who knows if the birds come and pick it up or the weeds decide to uproot the plants that you put into your, your, your dirt? You need to do the work. You need to actually do the process of getting your hands dirty, fertilizing the seeds, weathering the storm away, like doing the things that you need to do, pulling out the weeds. But you also need to make sure that you rest in order to be your best self to show up to that that crop because otherwise you might pull out your plants instead of the weeds like there's so much to the process that you need to focus on you can't afford to lose sight of the process and how much that actually is what creates the creates the final product and you talk about it all the time how if your process is less than pure then you can expect everything else to to reflect that and how it's got to do with values I'll let you just ramble on about that because there is so much value in this process and how it actually gifts you the rewards you're after. Like it, it gifts you life because that is your life. Like the actual process is your life. Yeah. It's hard because I know, you know, people, people who aren't in, like, we always talk about this in the industry because like, if you're someone who's into this stuff, which most of our clients aren't, right? Like that's what we have to realize first and foremost is most people just aren't into working out and eating like we are. Like we're the weirdos. Like let's be honest, we're we're not the normal people. Um, because I go to the gym now, like, like yeah, I have physique goals and I do jujitsu, and so it's like good to be like strong. But honestly, like most of my lifting probably inhibits my ability at jujitsu because I'm always banged up and I can't move my shoulders very well. And like, I'm old and you know, I just, but I love lifting. Like I love it. Um, and I massacre myself in the gym. Like, I don't know that what I do is optimal. Like the way I, I train, like probably really not like I train to failure consistently, which I don't know if that's really advantageous for a 43 year old guy who has no desire to compete and like does a lot of other stuff. Like, um, but I like it. I like that. And so, you know, that processing is, is sometimes it makes a lot of sense to us. Um, but for people, it's, it's not going to be as pleasant uh, for someone who's not super passionate about it. But what I, well, the way I view a lot of things, I I've always been super infatuated with um, Japanese culture. My grandfather, like, I think fell in love with Japan in World War II. They, my, my dad lived in Okinawa. Like, they lived in Okinawa when they were kids. My brother lived in Okinawa. Um, it, it was a, it's just a place that's always fascinated me. And one of the things that's always fascinated me most about Japanese culture in, in particular is this intense focus on taking something mundane and creating a, an almost, like, spiritual thought around it you know um I, I i have a post that i pop up every once in a while about about the art of flower arranging and the japanese look at flower arranging this as a martial art this that flower arranging is the same pro is a proxy for going to war 
And just putting that amount of care and that amount of effort into arranging a single flower so that it is done in a way that is intentional and passionate. And when you put the same amount of effort into the way you arrange flowers as you do to take over our country in war, anything you do becomes a passion. Um, and so if you can develop some kind of internalized care about every little aspect of that work and look at the work itself as the reward, it really changes um, everything, really. Um, and again, you know, you know, there's a lot of Zen Buddhist um, uh, ideology that I, I that I throw in there as well. I mean, um, you know, if, if I sweep a floor, that's the like, you know, there's that idea of, of work is godliness in a way. Like that is our connection uh, with something other, and um, looking at work as the reward, uh, it, it changes things. It changes things. If we're looking for the reward first, the work becomes a burden. When the work itself is the reward, the outcome just becomes the, an extra, a, a bonus.